Thank you, Wally. Thank you, Phil. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Mark chapter 12, and then put a finger in Matthew 22, if you could, please. Mark chapter 12 and Matthew 22 is where we will be this evening. In 1992, a man by the name of Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. We have the book in our bookstore. It's a book about how each person has their own love language, their way in which each person both receives and shows different types of love. He describes these love languages as physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, and quality time together. And these types of ways of uh, showing love and receiving love, uh, people demonstrate you know, their, their love one to another. And this idea, you know, it was not invented by Gary Chapman in 1992. Um, love languages were not some sort of secret that God kept away from mankind until Gary Chapman graced us with his presence. Uh, these are some just basic principles that Gary Chapman, to his credit, he's a Christian, found in the Bible. He organized them and they gave them to us in a very practical application so that all of us could understand them better. He's actually also written a book called The Five Love Languages of Children and a number of other things. And and, and, and I bring it up because, you know, long before Gary Chapman ever came onto the scene of, uh, of this planet, there have been various love languages directly from Scripture that if we took heed to them, they would really help us in our everyday life. They would really help us in our, in our relationships with each other. They would help us in our relationships with our spouse. They would help us with our relationships with our kids. And um, it, there's actually a number of them in the Bible. We're not going to turn there, but if you ever... Go to Ephesians chapter 5, and it's the, the portion where, you know, we get addressed as uh, husbands and wives. There's a verse in Ephesians chapter 5 where basically God says, listen, the love language of every husband is reverence, and the love language of every wife is love. And, and that's a love language written in the Bible. Gary Chapman didn't develop this. The person that wrote that book, Love and Respect, didn't develop it. You know, God has long before... You know, mankind has figured these things out. He's had things in the Bible that if we would just take heed to what the Bible says, um, you know, we would do really well uh, for ourselves. And so whether it's the book, The Five Love Languages in our bookstore, or whether it's the, the, the quote-unquote two love languages between a husband and a wife in Ephesians chapter 5, these are just examples of how we interact and show our love to other people. But the love language that I wanted to address tonight is not the love language that we have when it comes to loving people. It's the love language uh, that we have when it comes to loving God. It's not the love language that we have between husbands and wives or between friends. It's the love language that we have toward our Father in heaven. Let me ask you a question. Do you love God? Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love the name Jesus? Does it bother you? Is it a beautiful name? Is it, is it a name unlike any name? You see, you can be saved and not love God. You don't get to heaven by loving God. You get to heaven by being saved, by being a born-again Christian. And so loving God and being saved, they're not one and the same. You know, you can say that you love God, but let me ask you a question. If you were asked to prove your love for God, what would you do? What would you point to? What, what would you show in your life that proves that you love God. 
Let me ask you a question. If you had to guess what the single most important commandment is in the entire Bible, what would you say? There's a lot of commandments, thousands of commandments in the Bible. But if you were to guess the single most important commandment in the entire Bible, what would you say? Jesus actually answered this for us in the Gospels. You know, Jesus was asked, hey, what is the most important commandment? And it's in his answer that we find out about four love languages that we have toward our Father in heaven. Jesus' answer was insightful. His answer was clear. And he actually taught us about this love language idea way before Gary Chapman was ever anything on this planet. And so tonight, I want to look at the four love languages that we have very clearly laid out for us in Scripture. Not love languages one toward another, not love languages between husband and wife or parent and child, love languages that we have toward God. I got saved when I was 11 years old. I was raised a Catholic. I didn't know much about the Bible. I knew a little bit about the Bible from going to church when I was a kid. When I was 11 years old, I was invited to go to a Baptist church. I got saved in a Baptist church. I got baptized in a Baptist church. I got married in a Baptist church. Uh, listen, I wasn't born and bred a Baptist, but bless God, I'm going to be a Baptist the day I die, hopefully. Uh, I know why I'm a Baptist. And when I got saved at the age of 11... I didn't love God. In fact, when I grew up, it, I thought it was weird. Maybe you think this is strange and, and won't understand it. Some of you will. I thought it was odd to say that you loved God. I didn't grasp how people would stand up and preach or sing and with tears in their eyes, you know, talk about their love for God. Because quite frankly, I knew I was saved. I've actually never really doubted my salvation. I knew I was saved, but I didn't love God. I was probably 21 years old, 20 years old, something like that. And I was driving up Harrison Avenue. Uh, I worked in downtown Cincinnati and I was driving home. I lived on the west side of Cincinnati. And, and I remember distinctly, I could tell you where I was. I could tell you the lane I was in, what I was driving. I could tell you the bend on Harrison Avenue that I was at when I said to God, God, I, I don't love you. God, I don't think that I've ever loved you. Honestly, God, it's kind of weird to say that people love you. But Lord, if you would let me, I'd like to learn how to love you. And for the past, whatever, 20-some years, 30, man, I'm old now. How old, that's been a long time. And I guess 25 years. I, I, I'm not been perfect, but I've tried to grow my love for the Lord. And, and my love for the Lord looks different than your love for the Lord. And if you don't understand what I'm about to teach tonight, you will not understand why our love looks different for the Lord. All of us are supposed to love the Lord. You don't get to heaven by loving the Lord. You get to heaven by being a born-again Christian. All right? You can die and go to heaven and having never loved God. You'll love him up there. But, but understand, getting saved and loving God, they're two different things. Notice what the Bible says in Mark chapter 12, <clears throat> verse number 28. Mark chapter number 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? So he asked Jesus Christ, what's the first commandment of all? Jesus says in verse 29, the first of all commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, 
and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is likened to it. Namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Notice that last phrase. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now, remember, you don't get to heaven by keeping the commandments. So this is not a plan of salvation. This is for people who are already saved. Remember, the Bible says in Titus chapter 2, you don't get to heaven by works of righteousness. And so when he says, and when Jesus says in verse 31, there is none other commandment greater than these, he's not saying this is how you get saved. He's saying this is a commandment that you should keep. This is a commandment that you should obey. He has is, he is given you this instruction. You are to love God with all of these things, with your whole being. Now, I would submit to you that you can't even properly love God until you're a born-again Christian. I would submit to you that you can't love God until you know God. You can't love God until you fear God. You can't love God until you know who you're loving. Now, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe there's a theological gray area there. But I would submit to you, you don't love God until you know God. Being saved is the starting point of being even able to love God like we're going to talk about tonight. A lost person has the ability to think about God. A lost person has the ability to be fond of God. But you can't rightly love God like we're talking about tonight until you know God. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 29. The first and all great, uh, first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord. Notice that, thou shalt, thou, that's a personal word. Remember, it starts with a T. Thou starts with a T, not a Y. So this is a singular pronoun. This is you personally. This is not written to a group of people. This is you personally as an individual. You are, to, are, you are supposed to love God. Notice he says, thou shalt. This is not an optional command. This is not a suggestion. Thou shalt. You know, we're all familiar with the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt. This is a command. God expects people. Think about this. God expects people to get saved and love him. That's what he expects. Thou shalt love him. He says in verse uh, 29, uh, I'm sorry, verse 30, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Listen, you're supposed to love God. You're supposed to, to, to take delight in God. You're supposed to be fond of God. You're supposed to have a tender affection for God. You're supposed to have a strong emotional attachment to God. You are supposed to have a desire to be in his presence. Notice in verse 30, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Listen, with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Listen, if, if, if you think that that's an easy command to keep, you don't understand the Bible. That's a tough command to keep. God is saying, I don't mean tough as in difficult. I mean tough as in uh, we are so sinful and want our, our, our stuff so much. We want our way of life so much. We want our will so much that to love God in this manner, that's a very high bar to reach. He's basically saying, love God with every fiber of your being. Love God with everything that you are, with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he says in verse uh, 31, the second is like unto it, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. You're, after you figure out how to love God with your entire being, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. I don't even know my neighbors. I'm supposed to love them? That's what he says. Now, obviously, that word neighbor is more than your next door neighbor. You are my neighbor. I am your neighbor. 
You know, I, I, obviously this is not, you know, just your next door neighbor. It's the people in your life. Go back in your Bible to Matthew chapter 22. Hopefully you have a finger there. Matthew 22. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22 gives us more detail as to what's happening in this story. And in Matthew chapter 22, in verse 1, Jesus speaks a parable. We're not going to go through the parable, but uh, needless to say, in this parable, the Herodians, the Pharisees, and the scribes all understood that the parable he was, Jesus was speaking uh, basically pointed to them as being unbelievers, pointed to them as going to hell. And they didn't like that. So in verse 15, the Bible says that the Pharisees took counsel of how they might entangle him in his talk. And so they didn't like what he said. So the Pharisees in verse 15 wanted to trip him up in his words. This is always fascinating to me in verse 15. It says they took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. It's, this is always funny to me. Who invented talk? Jesus did. You're going to trip up the inventor of language with language. Good luck with that. Well, the, when that didn't work, uh, the Bible says in verse uh, 20, uh, t 22, uh, when they had heard these words, they marveled, left him and went their way. And then the same day came to him the Sadducees, which said that there's no resurrection <clears throat> and asked him. And so when the Pharisees couldn't entangle him, they sent the Sadducees. And when the Pharisees and the Sadducees couldn't entangle them, uh, the Bible says in verse um, 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees in silence, they were all gathered together. And that is the lead up of this answer. Verse 35, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him. So again, they're not interested in an answer. They're trying to trick him. Verse 36, master, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus answers the same way. He says, uh, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Uh, this is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Notice this, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's a phrase in the Bible, the law and the prophets. That's a phrase in the Bible that's talking about the Old Testament. Jesus is saying is that these two commandments hang the entire Old Testament. Think about your door at your house. Most of our doors have three hinges. Let's assume for a moment your door has two hinges. Both of those hinges are important. Jesus is saying is that on these two hinges hang, just like your door hangs on two hinges, the, the law and the prophet hang on these two great commandments. That means these are very important commandments. What he basically did is he summarized the entire Old Testament here. He summarized the entire Old Testament. The first one, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind, that summarizes the first six commandments in, in the list of the 10 commandments. And then loving your neighbor as yourself, I, I said that wrong, the first four commandments. And then the, loving thy neighbor as thyself summarizes the last six commandments. If you look at the 10 commandments, that's how it, it's broken out. It's broken out with the first four that basically point to loving God and the last six basically point to loving your neighbor. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So here are the various ways in which we're supposed to love the Lord. Let's look at it. Verse 37, thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. And, and Matthew here leaves off the word strength, but we know that strength was included in Mark's uh, gospel. So here's my question for you. How do you love the Lord? Probably everyone in here is drawn to one of these four ways of loving the Lord. Maybe two ways. Probably not all of us are drawn to love the Lord in all four of these ways. Probably one or two. Those in here that love the Lord with your heart, 
By the way, this thought of loving the Lord with your heart, that just makes good sense because love is an emotion. And so it's no surprise that our heart would be involved in the act of love. Okay, so to love the Lord with your heart, we understand that the heart is physically the center organ of our physical life. But we also understand in our Christian life that the heart is the central thing in our spiritual life. So the heart is very important. Your physical heart is in the middle of you, so too is your spiritual heart. It's the center of you. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So loving the Lord with your heart is where you sense or feel God's presence. By the way, uh, I would submit to you, don't tell me you love God and you never ever feel or sense his presence or, or, or feel him in you. Listen, something as big as Jesus Christ moves in you're going to feel him from time to time, all right? You don't have, this doesn't have to be your love language, but understand, if you never feel, feel God in your heart and life, and you're, it, you're not saved, right? You can't be saved and not feel his love from time to time. So, loving the Lord with your heart. People that love the Lord with their heart, they, um, they, they understand that, that they like to be close to God. They like to uh, feel Christ in their life. When they hear preaching or teaching, they, or some songs, they, they cling to the fact that they can sense Christ being near their heart. They love him with their heart. But people that love the Lord with their heart, they may struggle to understand why they need doctrine as much as they do. Because people that love the Lord with their heart sometimes know what they believe, but they might not know why they believe it. People that love the Lord with their heart, honestly, can easily be distracted by thinking that the gospel is all that matters. Uh, by the way, they don't understand that all doctrine matters, not just the doctrine regarding the gospel. Yesterday, we were at my uh, kids' uh, fall festival at their school, and Minnie and I were talking to a couple. And this guy that I met, uh, he is one of these people, I could not be as nice as this guy on my best day. On his worst day, he is nicer than me on my nicest day. I know that doesn't shock you. Super nice guy. Pulls out his phone. He's like, Joe, I'd love to, love to continue this conversation with you sometime. And I'm thinking, why? And he's like, you know, what's your number? So he sends me his number. All right, I gave him my number. And he texts me. And he's like, you know, uh, lo loved talking to you. Look forward to continuing our friendship. And I'm like, this guy is nice. Like, I could never be this nice. Well, he was talking to us why he liked the school. And he kept saying the same thing. He kept saying, it's all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. Well, if you listen to what he was saying and saw how he would interact, this guy clearly loves God with his heart. There's zero doubt about that. He's a saved, born-again man who loves God with his heart. But he probably struggles to understand why all the other doctrine is important. Why? He's not loving God with his mind only his heart. And so people that love God with their heart might not understand why they need the, the cold doctrine of the Bible. Understand, people that love God with their uh, heart, their, their spiritual gift may be something like exhortation or mercy or giving. But he doesn't stop with loving the Lord with your heart. He goes on with loving the Lord with your soul. So what's the soul? Well, the soul is the real you. Your personality, your desires, your feelings, your character, that's the, re the real you. Nobody can see the real you. The real you is inside of a body. We see the manifestation of you, but the real you nobody has seen other than God. 
Here's your soul. The soul is basically your will. Understand, your will resides in your soul. That means that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed, not my will, but thine be done, understand he was talking about his soul. He did not want to do, in that moment, he did not want to do what he knew he needed to do because he was robed in flesh. He had his flesh on him and in his flesh, he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. So he had the temptation of, I don't want to go through with this. I don't want to be separated from my father. I don't want to endure the cross, despising the shame. He had that temptation, but in his soul, he loved God so much in his soul that he said, not my will, but thine be done. That came from a love for God in the soul of Jesus Christ. A person that loves the Lord with their soul is submissive to the Lord's will. A person that loves the Lord with their soul, they're obedient. A person that loves the Lord with their soul, when they learn what truth is, they obey it. It's not a struggle for them. Why? That's how they love the Lord with their soul. A person that loves the Lord with their soul understands that their Christian life is more than a 10 or 15 minute devotion in the morning. A person that loves the Lord with their soul takes Jesus Christ with them throughout the entire day. It is a conversation that they have with the Lord Jesus Christ when they get up in the morning and they say, good morning, Lord, that they never stop talking to him. Why? That's how they love Christ in their soul. They want their soul to be close to his soul. That's somebody that loves the Lord with their soul. They enjoy close fellowship with Jesus. They feel safe and secure in Jesus. Listen, the people that love the Lord with their soul they are the wise people in Matthew who built their house upon a rock. And when the rain came and the floods fell and beat upon that house, it fell not because it was founded upon a rock. Those are the people that love God with their soul. It doesn't stop with your heart or your soul. It goes on to the mind. See, your mind is where your thinking takes place. Your mind is where you're conscious of your being. Your mind is where you reason, where you consider, where you ponder. Regarding the Bible, your mind is where truth is mastered. People that love Jesus in their mind, they're drawn to doctrine. They love the truth of doctrine. You watch the next time we sing, It Is Well With My Soul, which was a song written by Horatio Spafford, whose wife and four daughters were on a trip to England to participate in a revival over there, their ship was struck by another vessel. It sank and his four daughters died. His wife survived and continued on to Europe, sent a telegraph over to Mr. Spafford and said, uh, uh, saved alone. It was, a, it was a very cryptic and a sad uh, telegraph. She said, saved alone, meaning she herself was saved. Their daughters were dead. Horatio Spafford boards a vessel, goes over the Atlantic Ocean to meet his wife. And when the captain of the vessel said, Mr. Spafford, we are now over the place where your children died. That is the moment where God inspired him to write the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And you watch the next time we sing, It Is Well With My Soul. The person who has a love of God in their mind, when they sing those words which say, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. That's a person that, that, that from, their, from their core loves that song because they know the truth of that song. That's somebody who loves the Lord with their mind. You see, a person that 
loves the Lord with their mind understands the truth of doctrine. A person that only loves the Lord with their strength will like the song, it is well with my soul, but because they do not understand the truth of that song, it might not mean as much to them. Somebody with the, uh, that loves the Lord with their mind might, might have the spiritual gift of teaching or the spiritual gift of prophecy. But he goes on, he says, love the Lord with your strength. And it seems like this is your physical ability because Deuteronomy 6, 5 translates the word strength as might. And so loving the Lord with your strength includes your might. Now I could be wrong here, but it seems like Jesus is saying, you need to love God with your entire being, which includes your body. Now, what does it mean if you love the Lord with your strength? That means it's not just your heart, not your soul, not your mind, but it's also your body. People that love the Lord in their strength, you know what they're doing? They're always looking for something to do around the church. They're always looking for a way to minister to the church people. They're always looking for a way to take the gospel to some other person. They're always looking to do something, show an action in some way, shape, or form. That's how they're loving God in their strength. You see, there are people in here that you love the Lord in your mind, you love the Bible, you love doctrine, but you haven't been physically worn out working for Jesus Christ in years. You see, you'll work yourself to death 70 hours a week, but you won't go on Thursday night visitation because you don't love the Lord in your strength. You love him in your mind. You, you'll read the Bible and consider Christ, but you won't go on visitation because you don't want to give up your strength. And, and listen, loving the Lord with your strength is as much in the Bible as loving the Lord with your heart and your soul and your mind. And so you might not like that, but that's in the Bible. And people with love that, that are easily drawn to loving the Lord with their strength, may, their spiritual gift may be something like ruling or ministry. So what can we learn by knowing these four areas of our love for God? Not our love amongst each other, not our love husband and wife, but our love toward God. What we can learn is you are probably drawn naturally to one or two of these types of loves toward uh, the way that we love God more than the other two. And, and by the way, that's okay. That's how God wired you. For some of you, it, it is easy to love God with your heart. You have a close and a dear affection for Jesus Christ. Your heartbeat in life is Jesus. And that's okay. But it's more difficult for you to love the Lord in your mind. You know what you believe, but you don't know why. For others in here, it's, it's easy to love the Lord with your strength. You enjoy service for the Lord. You enjoy doing things for, the, for, for God and God's people and the pastor or whatever it might be. You, you enjoy as, assembling Bibles. You enjoy working at a backyard Bible club. You enjoy working on a cleaning crew, whatever it may be. There are some men in here that regularly come up to me and ask what they can do around the church. Those are men, that's their way that they are, are expressing their love for Jesus Christ, not for me, their love for Jesus Christ by loving him with their strength. So what can we learn? Uh, we can learn that uh, you're probably, it's okay to be drawn to one or two of these more than the others. Understand, th uh, th what else can we learn? Understand the ways in which we love God will help us better interact with each other. Listen, no doubt there's been conflict in various churches throughout the years between very good intentioned people. And sometimes the differences are simply a difference in how people love God. Someone who only loves God in their mind can easily get frustrated with someone who only loves God with their strength. That person who only loves God in their mind can very easily say, well, hey, why don't you do it this way? They're not gonna do it that way because they love God in their mind, but they're critical of somebody who loves God in their strength. And then there can be a natural conflict there. 
So why does God point out that we need to love God in all four of these areas? I think what he is saying here is not only do you need to love God in your whole being, he is saying, listen, you're going to have strengths and be drawn to some types of these loves more than other, but you need to develop all of them in your life. Understand the commandment. The commandment is to love God in all four of these ways, not the one or two that's easy for you. So if, if you're drawn to one or two and it's easy for you to love Christ that way, great. But listen, you, you neglecting the other two, you, you're, you're disobedient in that area of your life. Listen, you can love God all you want with your heart, but if, listen, if you're 50 and you don't know why you believe what you believe, you're not loving him with your mind. And at some point, you're just disobedient. Figure out why you believe what you believe. This could go through with any one of these types of love. And so understanding this will help us interact better with each other. Probably 20 some years ago, I remember a conversation Mindy and I had with, uh, we were young youth leaders in our early 20s. And uh, so it was long, probably 23 years ago. And I remember one of the people made the statement. They said, we were talking about uh, service for the Lord came up. And, and this one person made the statement uh, regarding another person in the church. They said this, they said, what is that person doing anyway? I don't ever see them do anything. And I thought about that for, for years. And, and at first I was like, yeah, bless God, a bunch of lazy bums. And then you get a little bit older, you get a little bit more maturity and you, and you recognize, you know, first of all, that, that exposed all of our immaturity because we were sitting here acting like we had stuff figured out at 23 and we're just idiots. That's the first thing it exposed. The second thing it exposed was that that person who didn't seemingly do anything, maybe they were struggling to love the Lord in their strength and they loved the Lord in their heart and in their mind more than the person did that made the statement. And, and, and understand, this would fix a lot of conflict in our churches if we understood that, you know what, when Alex Featherland drives me nuts, it's not just his lack of character. Although, you know what, that is it a lot. You know, he's probably just loving the Lord in a different way. He's demonstrating it differently. And that's okay. So understand, you may be drawn to one or two, maybe even three of these, but it is no excuse to neglect the other one, especially if you are an older Christian. Older, not in age, but more mature Christian. This really, love the Lord these four ways, what it really is is a fully developed, fully mature Christian, that's what it is. So I asked you again what I asked you at the beginning of the message. Do you love Jesus Christ? How do you love Jesus Christ? Can you point to ways that prove your love for the Lord? Or are you like me when I first got saved and you just flat didn't love the Lord at all? You need to fix that tonight. You can look at the love that people have for Christ in the New Testament, all over the place. You can look at different main characters of Scripture and see how they were drawn to loving God in a unique way. Look at the Apostle John. He loved Jesus with his heart as he leaned on Jesus' chest on that last night. He's the one who told us in 1 John. What did he tell us in 1 John? God is what? Love. The Apostle John loved Jesus with his heart. Look at the Apostle Peter. And he loved Jesus with his strength. He was a worker. He wasn't a worker like a general who just pointed his finger. He was a worker like a sergeant who was in the trenches with people. Peter was a worker. If something had to be, had to be done uh, here at the church, Peter would be the first person to volunteer. You, you need help assembling Bibles? Brother, count me in. 
You need help working on a VBS? Count me in. That, that was Peter. Peter loved the Lord with his strength. You look at Paul. Paul loved the Lord with his mind. You cannot read the doctrine that he wrote and not see that Paul loved Christ in his mind. Now, all of these people, they were, they were apostles. They loved God maturely in all four of these areas. I'm not saying they struggled in the other. I, I actually don't think that they did. I think they were fully mature people. But listen, if, if we were having a Bible Institute class, Paul would teach it, but just bear with me for a second. He's the one that would say, I'm going to take that class. Obviously, you'd step aside and let him teach or preach, whatever Paul wants to do. But, but Paul loved Jesus Christ in his mind. Think about Mary of Bethany, one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. Mary of Bethany loved Jesus Christ with her soul, in her emotions, in her will. Where was Mary of Bethany? Every time you see Mary of Bethany in the Bible, she is at the feet of Jesus Christ. Her will, think about this, her will was to do the will of Christ. Possibly the only person in the Gospels who understood that Jesus would die was Mary of Bethany. Now, regardless of which of these love languages you're drawn to, as I said, you don't get to neglect the others. All right? So if you're not serving and loving Jesus Christ like you should uh, from your heart, start spending time close to him like the Apostle John did. If you're not loving Jesus Christ with your soul like you should, uh, start working on turning over your will to him like Mary of Bethany did. If you're not spending time and loving Jesus Christ in your mind like you should, then start spending time learning doctrine and why you believe what you believe like Paul did. And if you're not loving Jesus Christ uh, in your strength like Peter did, start working for him uh, like Peter did. Uh, loving Jesus Christ in these four areas really comes down to this, loving Jesus Christ with every part of your being. Now, do you love Jesus Christ? It's actually very simple to find out if you love Jesus Christ. John chapter 15, verse 14. If you love me, finish it for me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. To keep his commandments is to obey his commandments. To obey his commandments is to know his commandments. Part of his commandments include assembling with believers. That's part of his, if you love me, keep my commandments. Part of his commandments include reading the Bible, studying the Bible. Part of his commandments include submission to authority, love for others, praying, being honest. The list goes on. Listen, if you love me, keep my commandments. You don't just get to say you love God if you don't even know his commandments. How else do you know if you love God? How do you know if you love Jesus Christ? It's actually another very simple litmus test. Your behavior will change and your words will change. When you love Jesus Christ with your heart, your desires change. Your heart's desires will be more like Jesus' desires. When you love Christ in your mind, your mindset will change. Your thinking will be in more in line with scriptural thinking. When you love Jesus Christ in your strength, where you spend your strength will change. You, your strength and your might will be spent on things that Jesus loves. And when you love what Jesus loves, you will put strength into what he loves. So do you love Jesus Christ? I didn't ask if you're saved. I hope you're saved. If you're not saved, you need to get born again or else you're going to go to hell. If you're not saved, the wrath of God presently abides on you. But if you are saved, do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love the name? Do you talk to him? And if you love him, are you striving to love him in these four distinct areas of your being 
that all of us have. And if you love him, are you working on all four, not just the ones that you're easily drawn to? We'll stand for a moment of invitation. I know that this message was not really aimed for your heart. It was more of a teaching lesson aimed for your head. But I don't know where this message finds you tonight. As our musician comes, if uh, you feel that you need to come down and have a moment of time with the Lord, uh, you do that.